I love architecture. It's just so fun. I can't get enough. But in terms of what, you know, like why you're making it, you know, it's just so much to kind of get your head wrapped around. It took a while for me to even be able to ask the question, really. I was wondering, like, what's the perfect place for a conversation? You know, like we talked about, like, how, how do you, how do you, how can you feel like you're outside without kind of ruining the outside? Welcome to the Wonder Podcast. This is your host, CCB. We talk about people and culture and human-centered design on this podcast. And the conversation about people and human-centered design is receiving more attention today as a result of COVID and our forced departure from the workplace. These concerns become even more critical as we plan for the return to the office since we're focused on well-being and the safety of all of us, as well as our ability to connect and collaborate with others and accomplish what we need to do. Our guest today is Daniel Cribbins, who will introduce himself in just a minute. But I first want to preface this conversation by saying Daniel and I have an ongoing dialogue about design and place and connection and the human experience, and he is an excellent muser. That is one who muses about many aspects of an idea. So you are in store for a real treat for the next 30 minutes. Daniel, welcome to the Wonder Podcast. Carolyn, thank you so much for having me. I always love talking to you. As do I. Not talking to me, but talking to you. So um, how about <laughs> you spend, spend a couple of minutes and introduce yourself to our audience? Let us know how you got to be where you are today. Hi. Um, yeah, I've been in San Francisco working in corporate interiors doing workplace design for the last 20 years. And whenever I get a chance, I'm outside playing around, or recycling with materials and always making something. So along the way, I've kind of grown from wanting to make something to wondering what I should make. And this question about what makes us most happy and how we get into nature has kind of come to the front of my interest, you know, so uh, been working on iterations for a long time now, uh, exploring the boundaries of, you know, personal safety and comfort with the ability to connect with nature and people. And those things are usually kind of opposing. So coming up with something that got them both together has been a super fun problem to work on. And uh, yeah, so I've been, um, looking at how to kind of like reconnect man to nature for a long time. That's been keeping me uh, up and excited about things. And, uh, and your work um, from corporate interiors and interior architecture into the making of actual solutions and, and utilizing materials and getting into that, um, that recycling of and, and sustainable uh, element has, has, as you say, been connected to nature. And I love your, um, your kind of website <laughs> mantra of you love projects that reveal the nature that moves your spirit. So you, we have an experience together at from, with one workplace where you helped us envision an entry table, and that was part of uh, an experiment, if you will, with 
that duplication of intention, <laughs> uh, making the table function as a table, but also function as a welcoming and uh, a welcoming um, area. Mm -hmm. um, could you talk about that a little tiny bit? Because that was a fascinating challenge. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I loved working on that project. You know, I had, um, we were wondering like, what, you know, what's an icebreaker and how do you get people to talk? Because it's more than just about propinquity and, you know, proximity. It's it's giving people an excuse to say hi and, uh, you know, what's this thing made out of? This is unusual. So um, when you have a shared history, that's one nice icebreaker. And, and so there's a physical shared history that you can kind of maybe employ to get that done. So I got access to metal from the Bay Bridge uh, when they first started taking it down and uh, big chunks of steel. So I thought that might be a fun thing to kind of, you know, people all know it. So, but you're seeing it in a new way. So this might be the icebreaker that starts sharing ideas between them. So yeah, we uh, got that steel and uh, we had some wood from the uh, Transbay terminal that was the pilings that the, uh, new Salesforce tower um, at that location, the old building was had piles driven into the mud, beautiful old trees and just had this great history and they just feel great to touch. So we combine these two kind of bits to, um, to make this table for you guys. So that's, that's where that came from. It worked uh, from the story standpoint, not only with all of that historical connection, but the fact that it was for our Oakland office and so much of that was connected to the city of Oakland, which was something that we were trying to do in cementing place as a part of the experience and the conversation. Um, so that that nature of place is something that I know you have thought about. Uh, place as it as it can combines uh, that access to nature that you feel so strongly about and the support to the being itself, the being that used his place. So I wondered if you would talk for a little bit about that, uh, that, that nature, why is nature so, so important? You know, there's a lot of science to back it up, but as a creature, you know, it just sort of feels like magic. And the more we find out about it, we can talk about the hormones that it triggers or the, the dopamine or the, the alesthesia, you know, that's this del often delightful sense you have when you're experiencing a, a change in your environment around you. All these things come into play. I, I was super lucky. I got to spend a bunch of time as a kid uh, just playing outside a ton. And, I've, I've, you know, there's just hardly anything as healing as nature. Maybe we'll never know why, and that's fine. But being so disconnected from it seems like a bit of a shame. You know, and the tough part is we've we've lost most of our fur, thick skin or whatever we used to use to keep us warm. I don't know how much time we had to spend in caves, but with all the architecture that we've built, we, you know, sense of place gets often lost. The, you know, Orange County becomes, you know, stucco buildings and it's not really oranges and all the buildings that were inside to keep us safe and warm kind of crush out the 
whatever it was that we wanted there in the first place. You know, Frank Lloyd Wright tried to get around that when he built Falling Water and all his broken box open corners. You know, the guy said, oh, I love being out in nature. So he built the house around this rock. So the guy could still be there by a stream, you know. And we don't have Frank Lloyd Wright around, but it's a challenge to figure out how you can maintain all of that kind of life-affirming natural wonder that we've evolved around for all of our kind of evolutionary existence um, in a modern world where we can have some Wi-Fi and comfort and heat and safety. Um, so yeah, bringing those two together would be kind of ideal. How do, how do you get the comfort and maintain the, the wildness? So it's a curious, it's a curious challenge to a trained architect to think about not using architecture or manipulating architecture in such a way that it functions almost uh, antithetically. Um, and I just, I just wonder, uh, you know, the conversations that we've had about um, what, what buildings are doing and what buildings are not doing and how, how they might shift to help us be more uh, comfortable, more whole. I love architecture. It's just so fun. I, I, I can't get enough. But in terms of what, you know, like why you're making it, uh, you know, it's just so much to kind of get your head wrapped around getting all this stuff done in the first place. And so, you know, trying to like, maybe make it work in some different ways. It, it took a while for me to even be able to ask the question, really. I was wondering, like, what's the perfect place for a conversation? You know, like we talked about, like, how, how do you, how do you, how can you feel like you're outside without kind of ruining the outside? Is that if you measured it by how much it kind of maintains your evolutionary inheritance, that might be a good thing. So this, you know, we were evolved with this agency to kind of get what we want, see forward, manipulate stuff in front of us with our hands and see opportunity and, you know, smell and sense and all this stuff. So architecture is critical in playing a role and providing a safe, warm place for us to kind of uh, survive, you know, and, and enjoy things around us. Maybe this, maybe it can be measured also in a way by how much it contributes and reinforces this agency to engage with the world in front of you. I think these two seem like kind of uh, separate things that can happen to go together, but that might be some kind of rubric here, right? Like how can, how can architecture make sure it's not just protecting you, but not getting in the way of your, you know, your, your evolutionary inheritance. You've got to be able to engage the world in front of you. I think that's where a lot of satisfaction can come from, a lot of sense of power and a lot of connection to nature. Yeah. yeah. So you've been working on this project for a number of years, which is, I'm going to say prescient in today, as of today, given the fact that um, you were taking that challenge, that question of how to connect to nature, how to maintain the safety and the um, the privacy and the isolation that you might need at certain times, but also uh, support and almost engage um, connections uh, with social connections as well as connections to nature. So you want exactly. to talk a 
yeah, talk some about, you know, the beginning of this, uh, this project, and then we're going to get to where we are today. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I, I had so much fun, you know, wheeling one of the first iterations, um, uh, onto your showroom floor a few years back, right? This was, uh, this was this idea that, um, okay, it was made for inside at this point. I, I was still working on the fundamental idea of, um, feeling protected, but having total panoramic vision forwards if you didn't know something was there. So uh, this ended up being like made out of this like kind of almost boat that enveloped the back of you, but was totally open in front. And the idea is that you'd kind of sit a little bit higher so that you could have a, like a throne-like commanding view and with your back protected, it would give you, um, you know, just kind of sense of physical safety that also parlayed into uh, a sense of psychological safety. And hopefully from there, um, you know, confidence to kind of relax and uh, use your prefrontal cortex to, to do more listening and um, empathize and make stronger connections with people. So... And then the people connection part was that this table that you sat at, you could be with another person at the corner of this table and they were protected too, kind of both on the interior side where the corner is often sort of like the best collaboration and negotiation position. But the forward two corners of the table that jutted out were kind of welcoming to visitors. And because you were raised up, people who walked up were eye to eye with you. And that made it easier for them to connect because nobody wants to impose. So this equal eye level footing um, made uh, it less of a commitment for somebody to come on up and say hi. And there was a bar there, which is a hospitable place for you to offer them to you know, share a tea with you or an idea. So this... This was a great start in terms of being open, but then what we found is that people wanted that next level where, where they're inside, you know, you had privacy and control and could have private conversations. And I didn't have any of that kind of envelope worked out, but that was, that was the beginning of the idea of like looking at the psychological factors that stop people from connecting and building a space around that for one or two people inside and, and a two or four on the outside. And your thinking and your iterating uh, has continued on. And we loved hearing that it was starting to move outside, that the the whole um, environment could live outside of the built environment. So it was so I'd love to hear your take on what's a what's a mini built environment that that has different attributes. So, um, yeah, the heart of all of that stuff that we I was just describing that I got to show you at first in that showroom ended up becoming a pretty good foundation for this, you know, outdoor pod. I, we, we kept the corner table, we kept the elevated part, we kept the outside bar, but how to get the enclosure, uh, you know, she'd stay warm and not have to worry about the wind and the rain and have complete panoramic forward view and still be open. That's was, that's been the challenge I've been working on since. So 
Um, yeah, this um, box is, you know, maybe just a touch bigger. It's kind of like Vitruvian sized, you know, it's just out past your fingertips, maybe 1.5 times more than the length from fingertip to fingertip and still seats two people. Um, but as a box, if you look at a square and plan, and if the back two sides were closed and then the front two sides were just totally glazed, you'd have a simple idea of what this box is like. So if you were to imagine yourself inside this room, uh, imagine a table pushed to the forward corner where full height glasses from tabletop all the way up to the ceiling, and there's no post in the forward corner. So you can just look out or be there with a friend looking out and then Imagine just being able to pull back that glass from the forward corner, two giant panes on either side, just pull back. And all of a sudden that table that was inside, it's now just really kind of half inside and half outside. You get a good, like almost a four foot corner on each side. That's just an open corner. And that's, it just turned out to be simpler than I had thought, really. You can kind of get these supersized glazing panels to slide really easily with some soft close hardware and build an enclosure around that has like insulation felt on the inside so that it's a great video conference room and can be outside and it's not too much glare from the light and it sounds good in there. And well, the outside skin is ripe for, you know, solar panels so that can handle powering up your laptop or a vest heater or a small air heater or say ac if it's just getting too hot so um yeah this we just kind of like use some insulation and, and wrapped an enclosure around this meeting machine and that's what gets you this kind of vitruvian box with a forward glazed corner that opens up and where there's nothing in between you and nature except for this table and bar where you can meet people if you want to. So who's seen this? I mean, where I'm, wait, I'm going to stop for a minute and I'm going to say, um, I was reading something that you had written a couple of years back, uh, talking about, uh, working with Steve jobs. And one of the, um, one of the statements that you made in this, this piece of writing said workplaces should be engines where new ideas are rapidly exchanged and tested, but great conversations and teamwork won't thrive when you're not feeling supported and psychologically safe. So it feels like the, uh, your exposure to some pretty phenomenal thinkers has, has helped you move this forward. But, but the next step is, um, getting much more universal awareness built. So I'm going to go back and say, has anyone else seen the, this magic meeting box? Well, I'll, I'll get to that bit. I was just going to comment back with that, that Steve Jobs article, because the part that was so cool was that I had sort of been disappointed in my life that I, I saw people with power he did something that seemed special to in a meeting, which is that he questioned um, if the whole direction of the project was right, because he really wanted to make sure he had a chance to kind of hear from everybody. And I, I just hadn't seen a leader 
go all the way back to the core question and say, hey, are we heading in the right direction? And um, that kind of vulnerability and willingness to say, I'd rather get it right than look like I'm right. I thought that was cool. And that just kind of went back to, you know, if you're feeling confident and strong, you can have some more vulnerability and just say, I'd rather get it right than, you know, yeah. put on airs. So, um, okay, so who's seen this thing? You know, this thing, it, it's fresh out of the oven. So I'm not sure really anybody's seen it. I just took photos of it. You know, I, I just built it, you know, COVID started and I took time to go like, get to the next phase and get a prototype that could uh, go outdoors. So I, I built two, one was a single version. Um, it was a little bit more like small SUV size and mirrored. And then I did uh, the second one after that, which is the, the double sized one that we've been talking about. And um, so they're going, kind of going through uh, Pacific Northwest winter testing out in the field uh, right now with uh, icicles and um, uh, mice and, you know, just kind of keeping out the elements and the rain. And so, um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't really actually shown them yet. They're, they're just on the website right now and, um, uh, just undergoing like nature testing, but, um, I was particularly happy somebody had jumped in and, uh, you know, she was not very high and she wanted to tell me how she felt. She goes, Oh, you know, I, I feel like a commander. And I was like, right, that's exactly what I was hoping for. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've just had some friends and family and, um, but it does seem like some organic stuff happens. There's actually um, a video of people having a conversation around the pod at, at, that I took, it's on the website. So it's just spontaneously happened. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like staged. It's just that the people on the inside were sitting and everybody was eye to eye when they walked up to a corner bar. So there's this kind of geometry of everybody seeing each other and a quality that allows room for space and conversation and is kind of extra timely now with COVID because it's easier to sort of maintain six feet apart. And of course, with a table that's half outside, you get an incredible you know, virus dispersion capacity. You're not worried about you know, stuffy air in a situation like that. Um, okay. So clearly we're going to share the website. So other people are going to start to, you know, be able to see it and I think make comments about it. Um, I was thinking about another bit of conversation that you and I had about, um, the amount, when we talk again about place, the amount of outdoor space that is squandered in our environment at this moment in time, uh, particularly, uh, well, you can think about um, uh, some of the, if we're not moving around at the same uh, vehicular um, pace that we have in the past, what are all those, uh, what are all those parking spaces doing? And, uh, and those suburban areas that have lots and lots of outside space that are, it's, doesn't want to be um, eaten up, but might it be uh, repurposed to help with the current work challenge? Um, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I. Uh, it seems like there's an awful lot of 
of outdoor space that's around. And I used to drive all the time and I love having parking spots. Um, although I've been, you know, going slower and riding my bike and, you know, it's just, it's, if you can, it's amazing to be able to be present, uh, when you're outside and that means going a little bit slower, but, um, yeah, one of the kind of cool things about having this extra car realm is that we might not have discovered it, but now that the need for being, you know, having like a life outside with COVID is so great with the 15 minute cities and parklet demand, um, safer streets and all the kind of disruptive reclamation of the carscape has sort of shown us what urbanists have been kind of hoping for was that there's a lot of good life to have had out on the streets, even though, you know, the, the restaurant scene in San Francisco with all the outdoor dining and, you know, um, in urban ways, you know, you think there's, there's no space available to do anything, you know, like San Francisco's built out, but even in San Francisco, streets are getting closed off or, you know, a bike lane get put in or I think there's just a, uh, you know, it's kind of like, what do we value in society? Well, 10 years ago, we really valued being able to get around in our cars and not have to drive, look for parking for an hour. But right now, we're working from home a lot more, don't need the vehicle. So, of course, we're going to value being able to have a healthier life outside. So that means, you know, we get a chance to rethink what's happening with the streets. Even Champs-Élysées, I guess, is right. going to take out a, a ton of parking lanes and driving lanes and you know, really kind of say, hey, this is for you Parisians. And so that's that's an urban aspect. And then a suburban aspect, you know, we still, even there, there's gobs of parking and, you know, there's all just sorts of, you know, urban rules for minimum number of parking spaces. And of course, everybody wants a place to put their car in their garage. I would too. But, you know, between the front yards and the parking spaces, streets, there's actually kind of a lot of interstitial space that's in the realm of cars. And if we start to think about what they've done in Paris and, and other urban situations, it might be that people might have to feel stuck in a kind of urban single use place if we find ways to get more mixed use stuff happening. That's starting to happen more with the dwelling and densities and the ADU um, changes so that people can have uh, more people in less space and, and multifamily stuff happening. So this, you know, all kind of aligns well with the dispersion of uh, densities from downtown now that people find out that they can work from home. And maybe even if they can work from home, they don't want to all the time and they might need to get out or be able to take a walk and see other people. So yeah, seems like there's room for the suburbs and, and urban situations to kind of use that car space and landscape you know throw in some agricultural bins with awesome native plants and create little mini paradises around where there has been you know an empty spot so i'm, I'm looking forward to more plants more plants nature uh you're big on nature and we love that i was wondering um with because uh because the outdoor space is, is becoming more attractive, but we also, and we also have um, issues about sustainability and about um, preservation. Um, what does that mean to the, um, to the built environment, to you? 
Um, can, can you rephrase the question a little bit? You're saying. Um, sure. I'm saying that um, while we want to spend more time in nature and we would promote uh, more, more time out in, you know, in nature, uh, we also have concerns. There also are concerns about what we do in nature and how we utilize it and how, uh, what impact we might have, what, you know, humans might have on the, um, on nature, moving our built environment around. Um, yeah, no, that's totally appropriate. You know, we all. So there's a balance, obviously a balance question. Yeah, definitely. I imagine like, you know, spring runs around, comes around and you went to out to Yosemite and you're looking up at Half Dome and you saw, you know, some extra little things parked all over the place. You're like, oh man, I came out to get into nature. What's happening? <laughs> you know, you want to like pay over paradise and, and build out everything. So there's definitely a balance to be had. But one of the things I think is um, helps a balance in general is awareness. And, and just like in like lead certification, um, you know, I thought it was interesting that one of the things you have to do is get a, you know, metering. Uh, and when I was getting my license, I was like, why, why do you have to have metering for this project? How does that help save money? It just tells people how much they're using. And, and it just goes along this idea that, when you know, you've got to, to, you've got to be able to measure to know and and you're not going to kind of take care of something you don't love so getting people closer to nature and really interacting with it i think it gives you a really nice sensitivity to loving and and wanting to nurture kind of curate the space around you so that's maybe that's a part of the balancing act is that if you if you it's just hard to love it unless you know it. And, and if, if yeah. nature's right in front of your face, I think you're going you're gonna to treat it more like, a, you, the question might be, how could I take care of more instead of how can I pave over more, hopefully. Yeah. And so. I'm going to, um, I have one final kind of thought question I want to ask you, and then you have an opportunity. I want you to share some final thoughts that you may have, but um Another one of uh, the articles that you read that I, uh, you wrote that I read and, and appreciated was that um, the building bridges has failed to unite us. America needs to embrace the front porch instead. The, the thoughts that you expressed in that piece um, speak to the porch in your meeting, magic meeting space, um, but it also speaks to a level of inclusivity that I know you you know, strongly believe in. Um, so could you talk about that? I said that we don't need a bridge, we need a porch. I was kind of feeling like in the, in the question of equity, like exchange of ideas and culture and stuff that unites us all and helps us see it's not as other, but more like an extended family. It has to happen like organically and you don't want to put a ton of barriers in between. And making a bridge just didn't seem like a, a broad enough viaduct for change to happen. I thought the idea of a more structural change, like a, something we've had before, like a porch where that sense of psychological security because you're in your house, but you can also engage with the world in front of you. I'd say the porch is actually the closest thing to a pod I've seen in previous kind of incarnations. That 
allows you to sort of repetitively have the chance to get to know your neighbors and start a conversation over time that builds trusting relationships and kind of like the idea of, uh, you know, people out being able to mix more. It's good for understanding. It's good for economies. It's good for innovation. And if buildings are kind of blocking that, then it's, it's hard to get the conversation started. And it also kind of entrenches a kind of disparity and in, in ideas and, and, and wealth to a certain extent that's not good for all aspects of society. So kind of having a place where more ideas can pass through excites me. We just, you know, we, we just get to, uh, have a have a little easier time getting over those getting over those humps that stop us from connecting. Oh, the humps that stop us from connecting. I um I was going to just say that the uh the conversation conversations with you, Daniel Crivens, are always spark additional thought. Um, and they they illuminate connections for me. Um and and they uh remove a sense of isolation because there's kindred spirit and kindred uh and kindred thinking um so i thank you very much what final thoughts would you like to share with our audience you know one of the things i'm just uh also a little excited about is that i just feel lucky to be able to um work on a project at a time when you know so many other people are working towards similar things and so it's it's easier to make a lot more progress and i i hope it can contribute a little bit uh, uh one of the aspects is an energy use because 22% of uh, world's energy needs is going to energize our buildings. As developing nations uh, kind of like developing third world situations, um, they're gonna need a lot more AC, which is a huge power draw. So anyway, it's just kind of nice to have a time now where the price of solar is dropping like crazy and batteries are coming online and people are combining all these things so that you can kind of assemble something that can maybe just really help out with this kind of power draw. So that was just one aspect of the pod where our next version is planned to be totally clad in solar panels from like walls and ceilings, kind of like an occupiable solar plant. And and with a small, you know, a small AC unit that you wouldn't even have to hook up to the grid. There's just a really nice relationship between the sun and cooling power that is not intuitive, but it's super simple. You just end up making more power with all these solar panels. You can use that to kind of cool down your place and then find yourself, you know, maybe without as much money or resources and in a place kind of closer to nature, um, able to connect people to lead you to a fuller life. So I don't know, I'm, I'm happy to just excited about being able to offer a chance for people to, to get those connections to nature. Fantastic, Daniel. Okay. I'm going to say we are enormously grateful for the time and for sharing your excitement and your, um, and your ideas which I'm sure will make other people think as well. Uh, the Wonder Podcast can be heard on all of the streaming services where you listen to any of your podcasts. And we will look forward to talking to you all again soon. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>